The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS. Brought to you by LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get, get engaged. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the profit process, and Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, Spike is out. He has food poisoning. So here we are. We brought in Chicago's own, Western Illinois' own, Ricky O'Donnell, a.k.a. Ricky Charisma, a.k.a. the star of the pandemic for the basketball internet, I would say, and uh, to talk about the his Chicago Bulls losing a what became not a blowout but was absolutely a blowout to the Sixers with Joel back. Also have to note, Ricky Council's first pro minutes on the night we have Ricky O'Donnell on the Ricky. That's pretty nice. Connect skateboarding, a lot of great stuff. CJ basically splits his time fashioning himself with kinetic skateboarding and Briggs Auction. Uh, they have great stuff over there. Check it out. Get 9.1 off your first, 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. Also, by the process, Los Angeles, come in here, come in to me in March. Writesrickysanchez.com slash fly. Fly is spelled with an F-L-Y, not any other strange spelling you might have seen elsewhere. If you need a custom package, you're not traveling, you're on the West Coast, you're already in LA, whatever, email joe at fansaffilly.com. Uh, without any further ado, the song. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Mike Levin. Spike again is out. Food poisoning, dutying, puking, etc. A replacement, we have my friend Ricky O'Donnell from SP Nation. Ricky, how are you doing? You know, I would be better if the Bulls put up more of a fight in that game, but being here in the central time zone in Chicago, at least it started early, so I didn't have to stay up late to watch the Bulls. Get their ass kicked up and down the floor, which is exactly what happened, you know, basically from the opening tip of this game. It was over within the first five or six minutes. So, uh, you know, well done, Sixers, and good night, Bulls, because this one was never close. Yeah, it wasn't close. The Sixers got off to a 35-10 to 10 start. The Bulls had won every game against the Sixers this season, which I started to feel a little personally insulted by, and I feel like the Sixers played like that. Uh, in Joel's first uh, first game back, what what is your before we get into it? I really enjoy listening to you, reading you talk about the Bulls because you have a level of loathing for them as your favorite team that I think Philadelphia fans 
would be able to appreciate. So where are you at with the Bulls this year? They fell to 15 and 20 tonight. What is your relationship with them at this moment? Yeah, man, it seemed like it was going to be a lost season uh, from early in this year. And, you know, even coming into this season, whatever the best case scenario for the Bulls was, it wasn't that good. Maybe get like the seven seed and win a handful more games than they did last year when they went 40 and 42. So, you know, within, you know, the opening games of this year, Zach Levine requested trade. Essentially, he said, you know, I'm out. Ship me wherever you can. And the Bulls were 5-14 and 14 when Zach went down with right foot soreness. They were trending once again towards being one of the worst teams in the league, which is a space the Bulls tend to occupy, like, I don't know, five out of every seven years. But then when Zach exited the lineup, they took off. And I think, you know, coming into tonight, they were 10-5 and five without Levine. Things were ticking up in the right direction. Kobe White's been balling lately. Patrick Williams starting to look like a league average starter. There was a little bit more side-to-side ball movement, some more shooting, and they kind of suckered me back in a little mm. bit from the blow this shit up, trade everyone, and let's rebuild from scratch. But uh, I will be very interested to see where this season goes now that December is over. Levine is apparently on the brink of returning to the lineup. Uh, the Bulls, this was the first game of three and four nights. They played tomorrow against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Then they have the Hornets. On paper, it looks like this should be an easier schedule because they play the Hornets three times. I think they have uh, the Blazers this month, also the Spurs this month. But, you know, the last handful of games for the Bulls after Kobe has cooled down and stopped shooting like 60% from three-point range, Mm -hmm. uh, they just haven't looked like a good team. So... I was never really in denial about this Bulls team. I thought, you know, potentially they could uh, be the worst team to make the playoffs and get totally slaughtered by a team like Boston in the first round. But uh, we'll see if they can even hang in it that much. Uh, In general, this is a team with like not a lot of hope going for it right now. And uh, this was a very sobering ass kicking. (laughs) Good. You needed it. I'm glad we could provide that for you. Um, We'll talk about sort of what the Bulls should do with their trade pieces, uh, especially as it relates to the Sixers possibly acquiring some of them uh, later in the podcast. But the Sixers brought Joel back after a multi-game absence. They hung around it during that time. They did okay. Maxi played pretty well. A couple of good games here and there from, from against the Rockets, etc. But Joel is really very good at basketball, and they're better when he's there. It is really obvious thing to say, but the whole team just makes so much more sense with him in the middle. There's more space to shoot. There's less help coming on drives. It's le- on defense. It's less devastating when our point of attack defense is lacking. He can just clean up so much stuff. And he finishes with a triple-double tonight. The triple-double was sealed with a no-look pass to Tobias for a dunk, which I obviously loved. What do you... Joel has gotten better this season. I wonder, as a guy not watching him maybe every night, like what are you seeing from Joel, and what did you see tonight that made you realize, like, made you see like what what's what's going on with him and make him? Yeah, I just feel like the processing speed is so much faster for him now. No pun intended on that, but I know his assist rate is way up. I did a uh, MVP article at SB Nation 
last week. So I was digging into his numbers a little bit. I think his assist rate is up from something like 22% to 33% or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's crazy. My head. Yeah. Uh, and you could tell in this game, like, it just seems like you can't double him anymore. Because as soon as you send that extra defender, well, he's going to spin the other way and hit a fadeaway. And Lord knows, the dude is just absolutely on fire from mid-range shooting, which is really like the true sign of a superstar that you could take as many mid-range shots as you want and you're going to make 50% of them. And that's the deal with Embiid right now because no one can come close to contesting his shot. Like in a league full of giants, he's the biggest fucking guy out there and he's one of the most skilled players in the world. So I think tonight was a good example of like what a cheat code he is. The Bulls had absolutely nothing they could do with him. And for him to get it, you know, put up the line he did tonight, not even playing in the fourth quarter. It really just looked like uh, like a man versus boys tonight. So, yeah, it's, it's becoming like a really fun tradition when the game is either a blowout or on the cusp of being a blowout. And Joel does not want to play the fourth quarter. And but he still wants to get his 30 plus. And so the last few minutes of a third quarter blowout really become wonderful television. He did get his 30 points on the uh, the waning moments of the third quarter. Uh, 15 straight 30 plus games for him. First person, first person to do that with 30 and 10 since Kareem and Wilt, which is not a bad list to be a part of. Uh, yeah, the first play he comes back, he immediately strips Drummond, and then just him being there offensively, Ubre can just walk into a 12 footer because Embiid's gravity is so real that the defense is pretty paralyzed at moving off of him in, in any way. He really, like you said, started absolutely roasting Drummond on mid-range face-ups. Uh, it didn't seem like he was very rusty. Maybe got a little bit tired, but 31, 15, and 10 on 20 shots. Hitting threes. I love taking five threes. He's still a little weird about threes. Uh, AU is tweeting about that. But my, my one of my favorite parts was Nick Nurse, who I've given a little bit of shit to lately with some lineup decisions with the fact that, you know, they used to, you're, you know, Embiid's assist numbers way up. I think part of that was the fact that there's a ton of movement off ball for the whole team, especially in the first few weeks of the season. It was like, oh my God, look how much cutting there is. Look how much off, like, you know, back screens, pin downs, et cetera, to get guys open. And that sort of went away over the last maybe month. It just felt like there's been less movement, less uh, scheming to get guys open uh, off ball on the moves. A lot of standing around, a lot of Maxi Joel two-man game. And tonight... There was I saw more of that since those first few weeks of the season, like cuts off of Joel high posts where the defense has to rotate over and then that opens up a skip pass to the corner for somebody to be open shooting. That's really nice. And uh, and I loved nurse leaving Joel in with three fouls. It's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world when a coach takes their best player out just because this is well, they have three fouls before the half like that. You have to take them out. And it's like you are artificially limiting their minutes, which if you trust your center, if you trust your best player they should be able to do that themselves. They should be able to play discipline enough where they're not, you're taking them out of the game. That's what the fouls are doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, totally. It's, it's, it's always been very frustrating to me that coaches just have like a book where it's like, this is what we do. This is like, this is the move. And it felt nice to see Nick nurse, unlike doc rivers, unlike a lot of coaches, really not just a doc thing, but just go, I trust this guy. Hopefully he's not playing the fourth anyway, which he didn't. And, uh, and he extended the lead before the half. Uh, because of that discipline. As soon as Nurse made the decision to leave Embiid in this game, I knew there was zero chance for the Bulls to come back because, you know, Embiid is just at like three levels higher than anyone on the Bulls can possibly reach. 
And like you said, you know, he didn't play in the fourth quarter. That's the way this game was trending from the opening minutes that this was going to be a total blowout. The only way the Bulls were getting back in this game is if Embiid uh, was sitting for long periods of the game before it was totally wrapped up. Nurse did not let that happen. Embiid did not let that happen. And uh, the Bulls, who have come back from some pretty big deficits this year, it's been one of the biggest themes of this year for the Bulls. They tend to get their asses kicked right out of the gates. Then they come back, and they've been on fire in the fourth quarter. They've been like one of the better clutch shooting teams in the league this year. DeRozan is back to being like an incredible performer in the clutch. Well, that doesn't really matter if the game is such a blowout heading into the fourth quarter that uh, you can't actually hit those clutch time markers. So credit the Sixers for just stepping on the Bulls' throats in this game and uh, really showing them what an Eastern Conference contender looks like. We're going to talk about uh, our friend Tyrese Maxey after this commercial break where we talk about our other friend, similar guy, L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Ricky, are you are you engaged? You said your girl. Is this, is this wife, yeah. girlfriend? I am engaged. You're engaged. Well, were you happy with your jeweler? Yeah. You should. You could say no. You can answer that question. No, I'm, no, no, I wasn't. No. Okay, so the next time you should go to LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where writes to Ricky Sanchez listeners, go and get engaged. He is the original partner of this podcast, the original sponsor that we had. Uh, we are now up to. We talked about it last time. Should a second engagement count, or a a second ring for that same? engagement count as part of our numbers of listeners that have gone to LL? We think yes. So we're over 360. We'll get the concrete numbers as they keep coming in. Uh, over 360 listeners have purchased engagement rings from LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Um, my ring, which I got from LL, was I scuffed it up a little bit uh, at my friend's uh, parents' pool. You know, it's like the concrete on the outside of it. And I like banged it on the ground and it scuffed up. And I was very upset about it because I like the way it shines it sparkles it glistens and i was upset that it's got a little scuff on it ll said send it to me no problem took it right out sparkling like a beauty it's great i love it um there's and the best part obviously he's the ultimate listener of this podcast he's the ultimate uh person of this podcast i would say uh, and there's no pressure really when you go in there it's great really great price he's a great guy he'll talk to you about the sixers he'll talk to you about b-ball paul that's what you want. If you want to buy a ring from LL, make an appointment. Lee at LLPavorsky.com or tweet at him. Tweeting some unhinged stuff at LL Pavorsky. That's what you want. Call him 215-627-2252. He is a supporter of our charities, Mama T's Community Fridge and the Providence Animal Center, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. So Tyrese Maxey. I remember you being pretty high on Tyrese coming out of college. Um Falling to 21 was, I think, almost universally agreed upon at this point, a symptom of the pandemic limiting, not having a, a 2020 NCAA tournament. And he drops to 21 because of Mike Muscala, thank God. And he's just gotten better every year in ways that, even though I did really like him coming out of school, even though it felt like one of those classic Kentucky combo guards that wasn't performing as well as they could have under Calipari if there was more shooting around him type things. But the improvement that he's made in every aspect of his game, defense, passing this year, shooting, shooting from distance, shooting off the dribble, et cetera. Could you have seen him getting this good? Was there even, what, what like, the 99th, the 100th percentile outcome of Maxi coming out of 
high school and then college. Like it seems like we're so far past that. Yeah, totally. He's hit it. He's exceeded it. And especially in this lineup, the thing that was really jumping out to me about the Sixers today, God, they were just gigantic. Like, you know, you think about like the Wolves as a big team and the Sixers tonight starting what, like three, six, nine guys and then Embiid and then Maxi. It just gives Maxi all the freedom and all the insurance he needs to like run around, play his game. He knows that like if he ever does get beat defensively, he has so much length and strength behind him. And he just like injects them with so much speed and so much like randomness, I feel like, uh, that he's taken them to another level. And it's night and day. It's just like, uh, you know, I do watch the whole league uh, writing NBA stuff for SBNation.com. But uh, when I do watch the Sixers this year, it's night and day compared to Harden last year, where Harden's playmaking was at times brilliant. I think Harden led the NBA in assists per game last year off the top of my head, but uh it just felt so mechanical and robotic compared yeah. to Maxi, where it's just like everything is a blur. Everything is so quick. There's no like lingering in terms of his decision making and his development as a shooter is really what's just like totally taking him to the next level. Because as soon as people had to start respecting him pulling the three when you go under the screen, it was game over because no one's ever going to be able to stay in front of him. The fact that he's able to drive and finish with both hands uh, takes him to the next level, too. So. Maxie's incredible. He is just pure joy personified, even from someone who's not a Sixers fan. And yeah, he uh, he whooped the Bulls tonight. And this has just been an incredible year for Maxie. He's definitely, you know, saying he's an all star this year is like an understatement. Could he make all NBA? I think it's possible. It'll be tough with uh, so many good guards around the league. But he's uh, he's so far past even just like a fringe all star this year. He's one of the best guards in the conference. And he looks like it again. Yeah, I mean, the shooting is the thing that Spike and I keep going back to because like he, he wasn't great at Kentucky, but he was fine. And the floater was really what he was known for. That was his bread and butter is just driving floater. Cause it's such a unique looking shot. And then the first couple of years, it was like, Oh, he can hit shots off the catch. And he's been an excellent shooter off the catch. Uh, since he's shooting like a crazy percentage from the corners off the catch. But the fact that he's become such a great, pull up three point shooter, step back three point shooter, coming around screens, guys going under him. Like he can rise up and elevate so quick. He was four or seven from deep tonight. His step backs, it's they're like so long. It's not there's guys that have I'm I'm interested in because the step back is not like a move that has been around the NBA forever. Like guys are guys have we are in the step back revolution over the last, you know, Harden obviously was, was one of the guys that started at the most, but now everybody has their own sort of rhythm, how they like bounce into their step backs or how they slide into it. Maxi's feel like they're so long. Like he, he feels like more than anybody else I could think of. He is almost doing a low lunge to get backwards and, and get that, uh, and get that step back off. And it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible how, how he can still get, be so balanced doing that. Um, the baseline drive going left where he goes up and under reverse through two guys finishes with his right. That was sick. It just felt like, you know, Max only took 12 shots tonight. He was still running around like crazy. Um, him and Joel still had a lot of two man game. It felt like he was exhaling the whole game that Joel is back and he doesn't have to just do every single thing. And have, he felt like he had, was more rejuvenated from that. My, my question, you know, I've been hung up on the amount of two-man game that Maxi and Joel are doing together. And 
wondering how that's going to translate into the playoffs, especially against a team like Boston, who's going to have so much length and like guys pinching in. Are you are you worried about the Sixers not having quite enough? Like it worked tonight. Obviously, they were excellent together. Joel was plus twenty, plus thirty two. Maxie's plus twenty four. Are you worried about that? Like that little rhythm that they have together, not being a little bit being too much. Too we, you know, Harden was so predictable because he he was standing still. Maxie and Joel are a little bit predictable, even though their movements are are crazier, and both guys can score in so many different ways. They are a little bit doing the same thing over and over again. And that, and that kind of worries me in the playoffs. What do, what do you think about that? Yeah. It's like, who's the next best ball handler on this team or like the next best creator off the dribble after yeah. those two guys, who would to, you say? Melvin? Tobias. Tobias. Yeah. Tobias for sure. But Tobias, I feel like his play has really fluctuated. Like oh, yeah. specifically Always. this year, like he started yeah. out real hot. He dipped. And, you know, he's been a little bit better lately, I think, off the top of my head. But yeah, the past couple of weeks have been better. He, it's a little bit like uh, when after you get a massage or go to the chiropractor or something and you're like, my posture is very good for like a couple days. And then I sort of like start slouching again. And then Tobias is sort of like, I'm, you know, I'm jab stepping. I'm like thinking too hard. It's all, all the all the work that was done previously. I just got to get back to the chiropractor massage, like fix me up again. And it seems like Tobias is... Uh, is just he will always find his way back to like central Tobias. He's he has a, a magnetic pull to being like a relatively frustrating player. But yeah, he's been he, he's been better lately. Uh, he's been the the quickness of decisions is really what it boils down to. And tonight he was making him. He was getting downhill. He had twenty points on thirteen shots. Like definitely a good Tobias night. Yeah, this was a good Tobias game in general. Though if he's carrying a heavy creation burden in of a playoff series against another elite team, you don't feel great about that. But yeah. like the Sixers certainly have enough assets to go out and get another player. I would say like if they need anyone, it's probably a, a secondary ball handler creator yeah. uh, to alleviate a little bit of the burden from Maxi's plate. And yeah, like going back to like the length on the perimeter, it's like they are just so huge everywhere around Embiid that like you could really stand to stomach another guy who could add a little bit more creativity off the bounce to this team so uh even as they're currently constructed this looks like a powerhouse team like I think like as they're currently constructed they would at least have you know a coin flip chance against Milwaukee it feels like and then Boston I mean Boston has the same problems every year so deep in the playoffs so until like we see a Boston team that actually goes through proper offensive process and crunch time of an important game like uh, it's easy to be skeptical that that's ever going to happen. So even like before they make a move I would think that you got to be thinking you got to be feeling pretty good about where the Sixers are at especially with MB playing better than ever. You know what is he 29 right now like totally at the he's an all-time great player at the peak of his power. Yeah. And you know it when you see it, and it feels like it's happening this year. Uh, he's been so great for you know the last three years. Embiid has what's he been top two in MVP each of the last three seasons, and this is the best version of Embiid yet. Uh, so I think like when you got that, you might as well cash in whatever chips you got to try to get another ball handler next to him. Uh, and yeah, I think that you know just that secondary creator seems like the one sort of hole in this roster. Yeah, it's been like that for for the whole season, really. Like D'Anthony Melton out tonight uh, with a back thing, and he helps sometimes. More of a straight line driver, become a better hand, ball handler, and obviously a very quick uh, trigger on the perimeter these days. But not a ton of creativity. The the you know as far as a backup point guard goes, I, I agree with you. Like 
having the versatility to to switch with big guys who defend, big wings who defend. That's why Delon is the kind of backup point guard that can play with Maxi that I would really love to target. Yeah, Tobias like I think he just has bad peripheral vision. I I came up I this watching the game tonight, it felt like you know, he doesn't see guys unless they're directly in his line of sight. Uh, really on either end. It feels like he's just, you know, in Madden when you have like the the quarterback that has like a really wide passing radius, like Peyton Manning or whatever, could just pass it to like from sideline to sideline. Whereas like, you know, friggin' Mike McMahon was was very extremely narrow. Um, And it feels like Tobias is a little bit narrow in that, although he has improved his passing as a as a player over the over the years he's been here. Um, He turned it over in transition when it was just like, hey, you should feel that the Bulls are like closing in on you so much. You should know that you're being vultured, but it didn't, it didn't happen. But I will say had a couple blocked threes tonight. That was yeah. pretty nice. I have, if, if you were to ask, I would say he probably has the fewest block threes of any wing in the league since he entered the league would be my guess. At least block threes per 36. Um, so I, I like the second jump contest. That was nice. Um, but yeah, so it's, I think at a certain point, unless they trade Tobias over the next month or so, it becomes we we've gotten to a place where it becomes silly to even talk about Tobias because it's like he's Tobias he's gonna play bad sometimes and you're gonna go like why is he doing that shouldn't he be doing the other stuff and he's gonna play good sometimes and you're not gonna trust it and so it's like ultimately he is who he is he's like a sort of for a good team he's a little bit misplaced for a bad team he's not good enough to carry it himself he's just sort of like just a little bit there. And hopefully he can be their positive rather than their negative. And, and tonight he was their positive. Um, what do you think about Nick Batum? Because I got to tell you, he's been on the Sixers for a couple months. And I am loving the Nick Batum experience. He has been the perfect kind of player next to Joel. Obviously, there's been the whole Dan Ollinger had the whole uh, compilation of entry passes that the Sixers, after years of just not being able to get through all the ball, Batum makes him so easy, but it's not just that like on defense, he's, he's savvy. He's got those quick choppy steps. Uh, he's forced a turnover on a full court press, which he does sometimes. It's very odd for like a six, nine wing to be pushing up like that and, and forcing a turnover. He'll get, he'll get a steal possession every once in a while. I loved how we went straight up on a DeMar pump fake that led that he got, just got a piece of and led to a, a maxi run out. I, and the, <laughs> the, the catch and shoot threes where he doesn't dip the ball. Like I, have never seen anybody else do that that consistency consistently as he and it's I'm fully smitten with the Nick Batum experience. He is I want him I know he's considered retiring. I hope he plays like four more years. I'm I am loving it. What do you think about Batum? The no dip three is what I was gonna bring up. Like there's yeah. just zero hesitation. I'm yeah. letting that thing fly. And like you think about Batum when he was young, it seems like he's been in the league our whole lives. He's yes. just been around yeah. forever. He's still not actually that old yeah uh but like a lot of the attributes he had that made him so good in portland back in the day like he still got he still has just like prototypical wing dimensions forward dimensions for what you want out of an nba wing uh he's a step slower now but like he still processes the game at such a high level the defensive instincts are still so good and he's one of these guys who's just gotten like better and better as a shooter so he feels like a natural fit next to mb because he can positively impact the game without holding the ball and in a year when Embiid has like a 40% usage rate, that's exactly what you need. You need dudes with length who can give you some uh, defensive backbone and who can give you some spot-up shooting. 
and who know their role, which is catch the ball and either shoot it or get it to someone who can get it to Embiid. And he's been doing that the entire year. So the dimension he gives them compared to what Tucker was giving them last year is just like so much of an additive bonus for the Sixers team. Tucker, it just felt like, well, let him stand in the corner. He's not going to do anything. It doesn't really matter. But with Batum, there's just like another level to his game. I mean, just you can start with the size. He's much bigger than Tucker ever was. He's yeah. Uh, I, he feels like a better shooter without looking at the numbers, even when Tucker was like the king of the corner three. Yeah, I just feel like he has a little bit more like just all around versatility, obviously, compared and, to what. And, yeah, and that's the difference between this team from last year to this year, like Harden and Tucker being gone when it was like everybody stand still and do exactly this. And only these guys can do stuff. Going from that and a Doc Rivers team that was not going to, Doc wasn't going to innovate a new system if something wasn't working. He was just going to say, come on, guys, and assume that it's going to get there. Uh, Maxi running around like a, you know, can getting a ton more gravity off of Joel, like dribble handoffs and plus Batum moving around. But Ubre, who is great tonight, we'll talk about him in a second. It just feels like the robotic system that you mentioned before is no longer there. And that's why I love watching and and want more of that sort of off-ball movement, that sort of like quick duck-ins to get some action going. And when it's just Joel and Maxi, that that be, that it gets a little it gets a little predictable for me in a way that I don't that feels like a different version of last year's team. And I like when the whole team's moving around. Um, we'll get to Kelly Oubre, who I who I do love. Uh, after we talk about DraftKings sports book, Ricky. The Eagles are the worst team of all time. Um, they are absolutely the worst team anyone's ever uh, watched or rooted for at this point, which is pretty wild. Um, the line on DraftKings Sportsbook against the Giants, usually I guess the lines that spiked. Have you seen the Eagles-Giants line? I haven't seen the line yet. Do you want to guess it? Where is this game being played at? New York, Meadowlands. I would guess it's Eagles minus six and a half. That's very close. Eagles five and a half. I, I wanted, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet the Eagles against the rights to Ricky Sanchez staff at this point. They look like shit. They're awful. This is not about the Eagles. This is about DraftKings because you can draft, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app to bet against the Eagles, which you should because they suck and use the code RTRS new customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting $5 on basketball. Um, I like when I hate the team because you were, I really, the bulls are good and it's nice, but I liked it when you really hated the bulls. I think that that was more fun for me because I feel that way about the Eagles right now. Um, and it's so fun to bet against your team when you know that they are loser frauds. And that's who the Eagles are at this point. So go on DraftKings Sportsbook. Bet against the Eagles. Use the code RTRS. If you have a gambling problem, dial 1-800-GAMBLER. You have to be 21 or older to gamble. See show notes for details. You want to keep Justin Fields? Bears God, it's such a fascinating fork in the road moment for the Bears. Like, whatever's going to happen, the Bears are going to screw it up. Both yeah. paths look like they could be good. I can yeah. talk myself into either path. Yeah, And whatever they do, they're going to screw it up. So uh, That's right. I'm personally very fond of Justin Fields. He's one of my favorite Bears players ever. He just brings me so much joy just watching him 
do his thing. But uh, I mean, the smart thing to do is probably to take a quarterback trade fields and reset the, uh, you know, the QB contract. Yeah. The QB contract makes sense to me, but everybody keeps, I just feel like these bad teams sell themselves on the idea of just like drafting Mahomes or drafting Allen. They can be ours forever. And it's just like, for the most part, you should just make, there's so many misses with quarterbacks in the first round. And I would go for what is usually more of a sure thing at, you know, wide receiver with Marvin Harrison Jr. Or a stud offensive lineman. Trade down, and, baby. Give and me trade down. Picks. I love a trade down. Anyway, that's Bears talk. Uh, so Kelly Oubre. So there's been this thing on this podcast for, I'm telling Ricky and I'm telling the listeners that don't listen to every podcast where I became so infatuated with, infatuated with Kelly who they did sign to a minimum this offseason, who has easily outplayed his contract. The first game of the season, he outplayed the contract. And I've been infatuated with the idea of Kelly Oubre as a passer, as a willing passer. For his career, I was drunk on the night of the podcast that I had said it, but I said that he would have five games. Is he five, CJ, or three? I said five games. Five games of five or more assists. But then he got hit by a car and he missed some games. So I think that goes down a little bit. But I just need him to get one really badly. And so tonight in this game, Kelly Oubre gets two assists before the first time out. He gets another, a third assist before the half is over. And I don't think he touched the ball the rest of the game. They didn't let him do it. They were worried about him becoming too good of a passer and becoming the backup point guard that this team needs. Uh, so that was tough for me. I was hoping we would get to five and it'd be funny to get to five on a night that spike is, uh, puking and shitting himself, uh, because that is the opposite of what I would be doing, rooting for Kelly Oubre to get a bunch of assists. Um, he's been great, man. He, he's such a good catch and shoot three point shooter. And the hope was that on a good team, that's all he would have to do that. And then attacking closeouts. Uh, he's so good at little duck-ins. He's the, I think he's the best dunker spot wing that the Sixers have had. For as long as I can remember, he's better at it than Simmons is. Simmons didn't like doing it. He mostly just stood there. Ubre like seals and gets in there and has nice touch and rises up and dunks and obviously is a better at getting fouled, etc. I I'm just like so down with the Kelly experience. Plus, gives you that weirdness of like why he he was wide open for a rebound and he fumbled it out of bounds and also airballed a corner three. And I think that's just part of the vibe that you're getting. He's having fun with the fans. Uh, seemingly pretty beloved here. There's nothing you can, nothing better you can do in Philadelphia than like hit shots, play hard, fuck with the fans, and also like be on a team friendly contract. That is really like the sweet spot of of everything. What did you think when they signed Kelly this off season? And do you do you buy this being the regular Kelly Oubre, or are you worried that it's going to pumpkin in the playoffs when he uh, gets into you know Jordan Clarkson mode? He was a 20-point-per-game guy last year, wasn't yeah. he, Charlotte? So it was very bizarre that he was just totally unsigned. And really, I think that goes back to, like, his short stint on the Warriors when yeah. the Warriors require, like, you know, a guy who knows how to pass the ball to run their system. And Kelly Oubre, he's got a lot of things going for him, beautiful eyes, long arms, but mm-hmm. passing the ball, you know, not one of the things he is known for. We've Developing until now. Until now. Uh, and once he gets to that first five assist game, I feel like he's just going to get out of a roll. And it's just going to be five dimes a night. But that's right. Uh, again, just like so damn big, so damn long. I just think like Ubre is another guy who has like prototypical dimensions for an NBA wing. The fact that his spot up 
shot is a lot more reliable now than it was early in his career uh, is one of the reasons why that contract looks so team friendly at the moment. And, uh, you know, you're talking about him like fumbling open, uh, you know, open 50, 50 balls and all this stuff reminds me so much of Drummond who tonight, like somehow got called for a traveling on a shot. He was right in front of the rim and no one was defending him. And somehow he like airballed it, caught it. Yeah. It was a travel. It was yep. a disaster. He missed also a dunk too. Totally bricked a wide open dunk yep. as well. Uh, and that just comes with the Andre Drummond experience, which yep. is much better in limited minutes. Now that you see him as a starting center, you know, Drummond will have one good game and everyone's like, ah, Andre Drummond, maybe you should start. We don't need Vooch anymore. Not on a team friendly contract. So you certainly cannot appreciate Vooch yep. in a city like Chicago, but uh Andre Drummond you know he's gonna take more off the table than he brings to the table there are times when I would feel the same way about Ubre, but here's the thing he's in such like a narrow role on this team and Nurse is such a maniac and Embiid is such a stud that like it just feels like he can't color outside of the lines yeah too much on this specific Sixers team which is the best thing possible they're not really asking him to do anything difficult no one's asking him to read a split cut the way no. Steve Kerr was a few years ago. They kind of like keep the game simple for him. And just by being like really big, still athletic and having decent shooting touch, he could be solid. So I want to ask you, like, what do you think about this lineup? The Sixers played with tonight Embiid and Maxi with uh, Batum, Ubre, and Tobias. Like I said, they reminded me of watching the Wolves, uh, how like their length just seemed like such an advantage tonight over the bulls. And that's just a gigantic lineup. I know that Melton has been starting most of the year. Yeah. Do you think Melton continues to start? Is it crazy to roll with this lineup? Do you need Melton's, uh, you know, point of attack defense in there? Yeah, I think, I think they like that. I mean, I, I think Melton is really, really good on ball in a bunch of different matchups. There's some that he just gets overpowered because he's not that big. Um, and I, and I like him off ball sometimes, but he does get caught ball watching more than I would like. That's a pet peeve of mine. Ubre has been, I thought he moved his feet really well in this game, staying with, I think it was Kobe White at the time that he was just really sliding his feet really strongly. And, and Batum is still a really good defender at his age. Tobias, we know what we're getting from Tobias. Uh, I think that they like Melton Maxi as just it, because Melton really is, of those guys, the most volume three yeah. type of guy. And there's times when Batum and Tobias are not getting them up. There's times when Embiid really hesitates from the perimeter. And then it's just Ubre. I think they like Ubre a little bit more in the in-between as well, like knifing through and stuff. So I think Melton is still good there. But this might be, the, the starting five might be like a, here's here's who's finishing games against certain matchups, which I, I think that's, I, I like that. I think the, the, the coaches that have the flexibility, and one of the things I like most about Nurse is that like, if a guy is going well, he will stay in. We don't have to have this is our, you know, by the book closing lineup every single game. And when Melton is not playing well or when Uber is not playing well or when, you know, I was going to say Tobias, but really Tobias is pretty written in, written in permanent marker in those, in those lineups. But I would like it to be Maxi and Embiid and the three guys playing the best. Um, so I think that the, it's, it's nice to get a chance to see those, to see those other lineups and see what they have there. Um, the other person who got, a bunch of minutes tonight and performed relatively well in them with 
you know, not in garbage time. Garbage time was an absolute nightmare for the Sixers. They, they, they won by 13. They scored 12 points in the f- fourth quarter. It was not a good showing for my friend Kenny Lofton Jr. Was not a good showing for KJ Martin. Was not a good showing for Ricky Council. It was just nice to get their uh, feet wet with the Sixers, but uh, but not a not a prominent. Did the Bulls end this game on like an 18 to 0 run or Pretty something? Pretty much, yeah. I Pretty much. Believe how close the score was after I started watching Celtics Thunder. Yeah, that was a much more interesting game than the Bulls. Game. It was ugly. Lofton turned the ball over like 16 straight times, and the crowd was like willing him to just do just be thick, please God, bump into somebody, anything. It wasn't good. But the person who played well, I thought, even though he's finished with the minus 15, cause he was the point guard of those units. And that's just not what he's equipped to do at this point is Jaden Springer played 21 minutes, had immediately comes in, gets a rebound over Drummond, and then an, uh, an assist to Daniel house uh, for a dunk, which was nice. It felt like when he was playing with, you know, whether Max either start the, the rotation players, not the, not the scrubs. It seemed like, after a long time out of the rotation, because because Covington and and Melton were were out, it felt like Jaden was told, "Hey, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is what you're not supposed to do." And it was really like he was a, a well behaved teenager in this moment, like really listening to his parents and saying, "Like, okay, I'm not going to do that." Like, you're, there wasn't any like Evan Turnery dribbling into mid ranges. There wasn't any like. I'm attacking three guys like a bowling ball. It was, I'm going to take cash and shoot threes, two of them uh, rimmed out. And I'm going to give the ball to Maxi and get out of the way and go for offensive rebounds. And he got two big offensive rebounds. One, one with a one hand as he was getting held by the other by, by Javon Carter, who's a, a dogged defender in his own right. And then he goes up and finishes right with a tough spinning finish. That was sick. He had a two handed block on Io Desunmu, which was Incredible. absolutely nasty. Like this is the stuff that you get from that guy. And I just, I'm just always going to decide with the like defensive dynamo who has a high motor and can absolutely like steal you some possessions everywhere over all over the court. It's why I like B-Ball Paul so much like trying hard and being athletically gifted is a big deal for me. And that's mostly of it. Like Springer's still raw, but he, I, I still would even through the mistakes, really let him play through a lot of that stuff because I think they could, he's going to, win them moments maybe not win them games but he'll win them enough moments to where that is i think worth like trying to cultivate a real rotation player there i loved springer in the draft i had him as an easy lottery pick he was one of my favorite guys in that draft and uh, i think that was 2021 one of the youngest players in the class so you thought this is going to be a guy who needs a little bit of time to develop needs more polish to his game there are some things that i just like don't know if he's going to be able to overcome is he capable of jumping off one foot it seems like everything is like jump stop power move spin like he just patrick williams is the same way he just can't jump off one foot and it like totally limits uh how dynamic his offensive game can be but what i would say for springer is like look at what jalen suggs is doing this year for orlando exactly suggs is now potentially like I don't know, top three defensive guard alive. I don't think that that's too much of an overstatement uh, given the way he's played this season. Like before this season, you could ask yourself, like, is Jalen Suggs someone you should give another contract to? Is he someone you want to pay to be around long term? So if you can just model his game after that, really, which is like, don't try to do too much, stay within yourself and just be not even just like a good defensive player, but like an elite per minute defender, which is what I feel like Springer can be. 
he's so strong. He just absorbs the he absorbs contact on guys driving at him as effortlessly as like any guard you will ever see. And he can move his feet to like stay in front of guys. Yeah. The chase down block tonight. I feel like, you know, early in the season, I was watching a Sixers game and I tweeted a clip of uh, Springer doing a chase down block and said, this is going to be one of the things I'm watching for all year is Jaden Springer finally getting some minutes in his third season and uh, doing some cool stuff like this. So if anyone could like see that in him, I feel like it would be nurse. Certainly doc wasn't going to let it stand. No. And yeah, all the Springer minutes, like let him try to develop into the best player he can be because his ceiling is as one of the best defensive guards in the league. Now you got to like earn the minutes to be able to do that. And like, at this point, he's still taking so much off the table offensively that, uh, you know, it's just tough. Like, as a guard, you got to be able to do something on offense. You can't be yeah. a total zero. Yeah, he's he's gotten to the point where he is all offseason. All I wanted him to do was take cash and shoot threes. Don't do anything else. Cash and shoot threes, cash and shoot threes, cash and shoot threes. And then when a shot goes up, go get the ball. Like, that. I don't need him to – he can handle a little bit. He can go through tight spaces. He's like a – he's a – he has passing potential, not as much as I thought coming out of Tennessee, but he still has a, a knack for some of those like little like in-between passing moments. He's not disciplined as a passer, but as a second side, attack a closeout, finish strong type guy, there's no reason why he couldn't do that. But the biggest thing is catch and shoot threes, and he's been doing that a lot more when he gets the time. And even if, look, there's a month b- before the trade deadline, the Sixers don't have a ton of unless somebody f- loves KJ Martin they don't have like a young cheap sweetener that they can throw in for somebody yeah. I think that there's a good chance of Jaden Springer being that guy um, he is like he, he ex- next year he expires in his qualifying offer he is kind of a first round pick you could a team could convince themselves that this is a first round pick that they are acquiring with it uh, since the Sixers only have three to trade so, I mean, a lot depends on, on who they're getting and where they're getting it to and if they if a team actually likes Springer. But I would, the like, games like tonight, highlights like tonight that show you, like, oh, on an NBA court, his athleticism still pops, his defense still pops. Look at what he could become. Even even if, you're, if you don't trust him as a shooter or as a decision maker with, on offense, it's worth trying to boost his trade value over the next month, whether it's as a player on this team or, or for another team. So I... I love. I mean, look, it's, he's my kind of player, dude. He's just my kind of player. J- Jalen Suggs was too. Obviously, Suggs, you know, high lottery pick. You're not like you know, role player guard. Josh Hart is not like what you're hoping for at that at that position. But screw that. Like it's gone. That's you're at that. The draft is over. You have the guy now. Like find minutes, find a role as you can. And and Springer, there's no reason why. That's you mentioned Suggs, but like D'Anthony Melton is another guy. Same type of deal. Like you should be just watching him over and over again as a, okay, came out as a point guard, wasn't really a point guard in the NBA, never really developed a handle that's like tight enough to get anywhere with it, more functional than, than like uh, exciting. Just watch him, watch him do that stuff. And then, and, and Springer's obviously way more, way stronger than Melton. Um, and he should be taking as many threes. So hopefully that happens. Uh, I want a couple I wrote an, I'm not going to say it on the podcast because it feels rude to do it without Spike here, but I wrote an article coming out on the Rice Ricky Sanchez newsletter, ricysanchez.com slash newsletter to sign up. It comes out in like two days uh, about Marcus Morris. I'm just doubling down. He shouldn't, 
he's got to go. Trade him, sit him, let him let him be on the team because he seems like a good culture guy for the, this group. They seem to like him a lot, etc. Um, but I just like the magic is gone. It's not going to happen again. He's hit so he was over three tonight. He's dribbling into contested mid rangers like Joel's on the court. Why are you? Why, why is Joel? Why are you? Why are we running offense for Marcus Morris when Joel's on the court? I don't. I know everybody else has enjoyed the Marcus Morris experience, and I don't begrudge them for that. But I just, I'm not seeing it. It's not going to happen in the playoffs. I'd rather get it. I'd rather be too early than too late. So I'm, I'm, I'm doubling down. I'm out. Um, we'll talk about the Chicago Bulls as a trade emporium, as an asset emporium for the Sixers, as a farm system for the Sixers. After we talk about Cornblow and Cornblow, the official lawyer of the process. Cornblow, every time we get so many emails about Cornblow, of people just like going, oh, I have this random thing. It's probably not something Cornblow can help me with. And Cornblow just blows them out of the water. And it's so nice to, that he does that all the time. It makes talking about him so easy. Honestly, we had. I was thinking about calling Cornbell because when we went to Hawaii recently, uh, Alyssa, it was this like beautiful little area. We got a massage. It was really nice before Christmas. We had a great time. We were all zen. And then this like path down away from the spa was really poorly lit or only lit with like fires, little like sort of picturesque fire, like not like fire everywhere, but like little tiny like flames. But you couldn't see very well. And there was a step that was total in darkness. Alyssa trips over it, cuts her knee, ruins the massage instantly. And so I was like, is this a cornblow opportunity? I decided no, because I don't feel like getting into a lawsuit. And it was really just a scrape of a knee. But that's the thing that you could do. You could decide that. If you want to do that to a hotel that uh, doesn't light their pathways well enough for your wife to walk after a massage. Cornblow, him and his parents, his parents started the law firm. Now it's him running things. His mom's still there. He's trustworthy. When you call his office, you will get a Cornblow. If you call for Adam, he will talk to you on the phone. It'll be him. It's not going to be some random fake Cornblow. It's going to be a real Cornblow. He explained things to you in ways that you can understand, whether it's personal injury, that's the thing he specializes in, but there's a ton of stuff that he is just like a helpful lawyer presence for when you get into these situations you just want somebody who is willing to listen and hear you out and have the expertise to set you down the right path not a dark path that you could fall in he's going to get results for you if you're in an accident or you get hurt don't lie don't be a hero call adam he's got offices all over the area he'll come to you if you need to they specialize in all aspects of body bodily injury if you think you may have a case Give him a call. Shoot him an email. Costs you nothing. 215-576-7200. Ask for Adam. Email Cornblow at Cornblow and Cornblow.com. Adam Cornblow, the official lawyer of the process. Okay, Ricky. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, Andre Drummond. Who do you think the Bulls... Obviously, they want to trade Levine. Who do you think? What do you think the Levine market is going to be? Where are you at with, you know, I, the Bulls seem like a dumb organization. 
Definitely. pretty much top to bottom. And so you have to assume they are going to do the dumbest thing. And while Alex Crusoe, who's a very lovely player, maybe the best guard defender in the league, is a role player. The market for him seems to be two first round picks. And it seems like they are going to say, like, well, why would we trade him then? Because he's good and he's on our team rather than trading him at the height of his value. You're shaking your head. Talk to me about this. It's been my biggest thing all year that they are complete idiots if they do not trade Alex Crusoe this year. And every report from the Bulls is like, yeah, they don't want to trade him. Alex Crusoe <laughs> is the smartest signing Arturis Karnaschovas has ever made. So we can't trade him. Yeah. I'm like, well, he's going to be in the last year of his deal next season. And he certainly won't re-sign with the Bulls because Alex Crusoe is born to play in meaningful basketball games. And the Bulls are too dumb and too bad to play in a meaningful basketball game. So it's not going to happen here. The only way he would re-sign back with the Bulls is if they paid him an exorbitant amount of money that Alex Crusoe certainly deserves, but would immediately look like a bad contract from the team's perspective. And unfortunately, everyone would have to hate Alex Caruso for that reason yeah. after they resigned him. So please, Bulls, begging you. It's the only thing I talk about on my Bulls podcast, Cash Considerations. It's been going on the whole year. Just trade Caruso for the best possible package you can. Uh, I have do you, no do you think it'll be two first-round picks? Do you think he'll get it? Uh, I think it's possible. You know, what's funny is I kept going on podcast radio last year saying, oh, they should trade Caruso or hold off until they can get two first-round picks. Now it seems like they're actually going to do that. And, you know, the the thing about the two first-round picks, though, is like not all first-round picks are created equal. The Knicks have all these fake first-round picks they can trade. The Bulls got a fake first-round pick from Portland, lottery protected from Portland for Lowry Markkinen. That's like actually Karnaschovas' stupidest move since he's become the GM was like, doing that and just like how that's aged as marketing become essentially an all NBA 25 year old. So yeah. uh, they, they have to trade Alex Caruso. They, they must, this is the peak of his value. He only has one year on his contract after this signing him was the smartest thing this front office has done. But you know, if you really want it to look good, parlay that into a chance to actually build a good bulls team and not a bulls team that is striving to be the number 10 seed in the Eastern conference which unfortunately is how this ownership and uh, this front office just seems to view success. Success to them is making the playoffs. Yeah. That is dumb. Don't that do was that. a, it was a pre process Sixers from sort of uh, once the Iverson years started to sour until the new ownership took over in 2012. It was a very similar, like, well, let's just, Ed Stefanski and Rod Thorne just trying to like win some ball games. And we hired Eddie Jordan and we hired Doug Collins and we're going to do regular basketball team stuff. And it was just like, so aimless, pointless. What do you think about Zach Levine uh, on the Sixers and his current very low market value? Yeah, it's too bad because Levine is a extremely talented scorer. I ran, you know, I think I pulled the stat right before he got hurt. But I think like since the 1819 season, uh, there's only like 10 guys, 12 guys in the league who have scored like 26 points per game with 62% true shooting. And it's like the 11 best players in the league plus Zach Levine. So the fact that he was doing that on a team that was last in three point rate every year had just dog shit spacing around him. And his first step is still so good. And he's so skilled as a finisher. Uh, 
when he attacks a closeout, and even like Levine's one of those guys who doesn't need a screen to create the advantage. The issue, of course, is that he cannot just cannot make the right decision with the ball once that advantage is created. He's someone who just leaves you wanting more because he is so talented. But on offense as well, you feel that you feel like he's not even with the even with the shooting off movement and the athletic rim attacks. You still feel like he's not. It's not. It's not trading for Dame. It's a step below trading for Dame offensively, even though Levine yeah. would fit more as an off ball. Yeah. Type. So, like, th- that's part of my point in saying he leaves you wanting more. It's like his game could be optimized so much better. Well, who do you blame for that? Do you blame Billy Donovan? Do you blame Zach because he tends to think of himself as a player like Kobe who just wants to do a bunch of jab steps when he gets the ball? Mm-hmm. So, it's been tough to like parse out that blame, but. You know, there's a version of Zach Levine that could be a really effective player for the Sixers or for another team because he brings rim pressure. He brings volume three-point shooting. He's never really taken enough threes. I think typically he takes like seven and a half threes a game. I always thought he should be someone who's taking 10 threes a night, someone who could hit, you know, high 30s to 40% from deep. And then on top of that is an elite driver too. And so there's a good player in there with Levine. Levine is just such a poor decision maker. And like, there's so much focus on his defense, which is not good, but I think it's definitely above a Damian Lillard level. Lillard is like horrible on defense. And Levine is like below average, kind of a space cadet in terms of like ball watching. He'll get backdoor cut a bunch. He's just, you know, not long arm, not very strong. So he doesn't really have the physical tools to defend either, but he's not terrible defensively, in my opinion, as someone who's basically watched every game he's ever played uh, for the Bulls since they acquired him. Um, the defense is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue to me is like in this era, a six, five guard who's that electric as a scorer, you know, they just tend to fall into the heliocentric. I'm James Harden. I'm going to do everything with the ball in my hands. And Levine is just not a good enough decision maker with the ball in his hands to do that. He's one of the worst clutch players i've ever seen in my life like if you clear out a side of the floor and say zach levine iso with the game on the line he's fucking it up it's just happened every single time for like six years but the bulls have also done nothing to build around zach levine and the like sort of the idealized player that someone with levine's skill set could be really needs someone like joel mb to play next to or really needs someone like lebron james and anthony davis to play next to so uh All I hear from fans of opposing teams, from other people in the media, is that no one should touch Zach Levine. Our uh, Lakers, you know, the guy who runs the Lakers site at SB Nation, Harrison Fagan, when I said, you know, how do you feel about a Rui and D'Angelo Russell in one pick for Levine? To me, this trade sucks ass for the Bulls. Like It does. No one wants wants D'Angelo Russell. And that pick is in 2029. Uh, He said that, you know, most Lakers fans wouldn't do that, that only casuals want want Levine Hmm. and I just think like Levine is a very good player in a year when you actually can aggregate the salary and like take a bunch of players who suck who make 15 million dollars a year and trade for a guy who's pretty good and Zach Levine who does have a big contract scary contract uh, with the injuries too contract here's my thing with it though I think he earned his money last year he was durable I think you know, he averaged like 26 a game, super efficient scoring after a slow start because he was recovering from offseason knee surgery. And in his career has mostly been durable. Uh, but then he goes out with the right foot injury after he requests a trade. And the team immediately starts winning a bunch of games when before yeah. he looked hopeless and terrible. 
So there's certainly a lot of valid critiques against Zach Levine. I do think there's a chance that the best version of Zach is still in front of him and would require a strong A1 type of leader on the floor next to him, would require a coach who had to, like, you know, get Zach to buy into the game plan instead of tailoring the game plan to Zach. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what could the Sixers offer for him? The, off the top of my head, it's just Tobias's expiring contract. It'd be Tobias expiring, or you could compile like Covington and Morris and Corkmaz and House and get there. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be a good move for the Sixers. Like, they could use some more rim pressure. They could use some more volume three point shooting. So, like, yeah. why not? And, like I said, I think that Zach played up to his contract last year. Thing is, like, yeah, he's got a max contract, but every max contract signed after this is going to be significantly more. Jalen Brown makes 30% more than Levine does. The next guy to sign that max contract, if it's Pascal Siakam, if it's whoever, is going to have an even bigger number next to him. So, yes, Zach makes a lot of money, but in a vacuum, I don't think it's, like, that toxic of an asset from a team perspective if you get the best version of Zach. Which last year, I would say Zach earned his money. Like, the Bulls sucked. They were 40 and 42. But Zach had a really good year last year, uh, despite having a slow start because of the offseason knee surgery. So, I would like I think, to see Zach land with a, with a real superstar because it's the one thing he's never had in Chicago. Yeah. I And I hear that. And the movement shooting is... Uh, the movement shooting plus rim, rim pressure for a guy who were really... Because of the contract will cost expirings in one first-round pick. It feels like a Daryl-type move. Even if he's not a Daryl-type player, it does feel like Daryl will see, like, oh, distressed asset. We can get this guy for way under market value. Between, you know, Ken Levine and either Pat Bev or Melton or all three carry you in the playoffs for, like, the six or seven minutes that with Embiid on the court, that Maxi sits. Do you feel do you feel confident enough? I know you say he's a bad decision maker, but he can get enough. His first step is good enough to where he can get open shots for guys or an open shot for himself. Do you feel like would he satisfy in a shortened rotation him plus either Melton or Beverly? Would that satisfy the the Sixers' lack of a of a secondary point guard beyond Maxi? I think so. He's a totally electric scorer. Like the question with Levine is like, can you close games with him and Maxi as the backcourt? Right. That's a small, weak, frail backcourt. Yeah. But if Zach Levine takes 10 threes and knocks him down at 40% and he can get to the rim at will, and he's a very good rim finisher as well. I do yeah. think there's a scenario where it can work uh, when you have a team of long rangey forwards around Joel Embiid sort of insulating him. So yeah, I mean, the Bulls are going to make a bad Zach Levine deal. That is yeah. like fucking locked in, dude. They're, I have given up all hope on a good For sure. And that, and that to me is like, do I want to be a part of that? Do I want to be the one to make to make that deal? Am I? If the Sixers have one one big card to play, is, is yeah. Zach the card? And the fact that he is, that the Bulls have gotten a lot better once you replaced his minutes with Kobe White and Dalen Terry, like, doesn't that give you pause? Like, doesn't that, shouldn't that as a, I mean, I know it's like, yeah, you know. Totally shot regression and just like fluky maker miss stuff, whatever. And he was, and he maybe wasn't healthy and he was clearly not like fully invested. And maybe he gets traded to a team and recommits himself on defense and really wants to be there and blah, blah, blah. But like, I will feel so fucking stupid if I start campaigning for a Zach Levine trade. And then it's like, Oh yeah, this guy's a loser. 
This guy's a loser. He's not playing hard on defense. He's not, yeah. he's falling asleep. He's not, there's a reason why Chicago got better without him. But, uh, but here's the thing, dude, like, is he a loser because he's played for the Bulls and Timberwolves, two totally horrible organizations? Like yeah. we would never say Jalen Brown is a losing basketball player because he has been blessed to play with right. these faultless Boston Celtics who have never done anything wrong in their lives. Sure. They're shooting themselves in the dicks every time it's crunch time of an important game. But with Levine, I do feel like he is just, he's he's gotten a bit of a raw deal just with the organizations he's been on. The Wolves were the worst organization in the league when he was there. He comes to the Bulls. They're terrible. They have no vision. They have really no hope and no plan to achieve whatever their lowly goals are. So I could see Levine being a good uh, get for the Sixers. And also at this point, like, God, that, that first round pick coming back for Levine. I mean, whatever teams are bidding for him, I'm like, I don't even want to say this because I'm rooting for the Bulls to get back all they can for him. But like, is that now a lottery protected pick? Is yeah. that now like, like the market is going to be so bad for him that yeah. the Bulls are not going to get much for him. The only thing I can really hope is that the Bulls can take advantage of another bad organization, the way the magic ones took advantage of them. Let's trade him to the Pistons, trade him to the Hornets, yeah. trade him to another team that like just wants to go from the seller to more respectable. Yeah. I think that's the only way the Bulls can get a decent package back for him. I don't see it happening for Maury. I don't see it happening from the Lakers. But I do think there's a chance that, uh, you know, either the Sixers or the Lakers do swing a trade where they give the Bulls the poo-poo platter offer for Zach Levine. And if that happens, I think it would be a good move for those teams if Levine can stay healthy, Uh, which has usually been durable uh, up until this foot injury. And he typically plays hurt, uh, too. Like, I think last year he was like top 10 in the league in total minutes, despite the fact that. You know, he entered the year on a wobbly knee. He was still like a total Iron Man for the team. Off the top of my head, I want to say he played like more than 75 games and was like, you know, among the league leaders in total minutes. I think he was third in the league in total minutes last season. So uh, very talented player. Why the Bulls have been better without him? Partially it's because Kobe White was shooting 50% from three for yeah. the game. So that helped. Now Kobe White since then is like two for 30 from three and another rough shooting game for him tonight. So uh, Caruso left early the, the Sixers or for any team. And honestly, I think DeMar would be a great fit for the Sixers too, especially on an expiring deal. Like yeah. That's to- what I was thinking. It's a different kind of, I was circling DeMar more during the, uh, Harden summer, the, uh, hot Chinese, uh, summer for James Harden, hot, hot club liar summer for our friend, James Harden. And, uh, when that seemed like an easier swap now, DeMar would take, the ball out of Maxi and Embiid's hands quite a bit. And he's not, if, if they're getting so much offense out of that two man game between them, what is DeMar really doing during that time? Aside from standing still, but DeMar is a, is a wonderful playmaker from the wing position and would really weaponize Maxi's off ball stuff. Um, if him, if, if you're running DeRozan and Embiid pick and rolls with, Maxi getting a screen from, you know, Batum or Tobias or something like that. That is really hard to, to guard against between DeRozan and Embiid, another guy that could really get to the line a ton. It's a safe, it's a, it is not a big swing uh, as far as what the price is going to be for an expiring contract, but it would be, you know, him and Nurse back together. Nurse obviously was an assistant in Toronto when DeRozan was there forever. 
What do you think about DeRozan fit with the Sixers? I think specifically the for the playoffs, are probably going to resign DeRozan to a you three think? or ninety million dollar yeah. deal because right. Arturis Karnaschovas' brain is made of Swiss cheese and <laughs> he wants to get the ten seed every year. And having Demar on the team is the best way to do that. What would be fascinating about Demar on a team like Philly is like in Chicago, Demar draws two to the ball instantly. Why? Because he's typically sharing the court with. Io and Patrick Williams and these guys who are so reluctant to shoot yeah. that it would be really interesting to see like DeMar getting single coverage. Yeah. Team like the Sixers, because you know, opposing teams have Embiid to worry about. They have Maxi to worry about. And DeMar is still like, he's really good, honestly. The thing is that you're seeing his age this year on low rest games, on back-to-backs, on games with one day rest, his numbers just fall off a cliff. When he's rested, he's still a stud. He's an incredibly careful caretaker of the ball. I want to say this is the year with his lowest turnover percentage of his career, and he's like handling the ball as much as ever. Uh, still masterful at getting to his shots, still great at grifting his way to the foul line. Actually, like a little bit more willing and a little bit more accurate as a three-point shooter this year. A little bit. And defensively, he sucks, but he'll also like do some plays that make some plays that put a big smile on your face. Uh, is like the low man rotating over. Like he's not a small guy. Is like uh, someone who occasionally does have to like go up and be a secondary rim protector. So he can do some stuff uh, defensively. And, you know, I really appreciate DeMar. Like as much as I want the Bulls to just like light everything on fire and just blow this shit up and try to build a team that could be better than the 10th seed in the East. Uh, you know, I watched a lot of horrible basketball in the wake of the Jimmy Butler trade. And DeMar has provided a steadying baseline of competence that, you know, the cynic in me would say, well, this is just screwing the bulls out of a chance at better draft prospects to build the team around forever. But, you know, there is some, you know, tanking, there's some cost to tanking too. Like tanking sucks for most fans. So, uh, DeMar, Not our listeners. So, so competent in so many aspects of the game that it's hard to knock him, uh, especially as a guy who like, has grown up in this era where the game has changed so much. Mm-hmm. And he's still been able to be successful while not being someone who can shoot, while being someone who's never been a plus defensively. It's like inspiring for him to sort of overcome his own warts to still be a really good NBA player at this. Yeah, age. absolutely. I DeMar is such an interesting, would be such an interesting fit here because he's never been at a place where he's the third option, which he would be in a, in a Maxi Joel team. Could you get could you get him taking catch and shoot threes? If I, I can't imagine a time when you would want Demar and Tobias on the floor together, so I think Tobias would have to be going to Chicago in that. And the reason why Tobias has success on this team uh, sometimes is because Maxi and Joel draw so much that all of a sudden it's Tobias with like a guy six inches smaller than him in the post, and he can just sort of do his thing and and you know ram his ass into them and then do a little rise up for an eight footer or something. Um, and DeMar would be doing some of the same thing. DeMar is a more skilled, savvy, versatile, uh, offensive weapon, but not be, be, being even a more, a more reluctant three point shooter than Tobias might make it counterproductive, uh, to, to trade for him. So I'm not sure. I think Drummond is also a possibility for the Sixers. If, if they decide that B-ball Paul is not, as trustworthy as as we believe him to be i think coaching staffs just have a tough time with uh with a guy like that i love him he's a big freak to De- paul's own um but uh but i could see i could see them just pressing the andre drummond button 
because it makes sense and it's easy. Um, yeah, it's good. I, and I, I know I've talked about this a lot, but I love Lonzo. I love the player he became and I'm so sad that he is, uh, maybe no longer going to play basketball, though he's been running lately, right? There's a, there's a positive Lonzo update. Supposedly, there was one a couple of days ago that he's going to start running in January, which is a huge improvement from the last Lonzo update we got, which is that he can't walk upstairs. Yeah, that's, that's seems, rough. Seems pretty bad. That's a rough one. Uh, so with Lonzo, it's like, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, just such a loss for the game of basketball. To, yeah. if Lonzo Ball, still 25 years old, I believe. Oh, my God. Medically, because his knees have betrayed him. Uh, I watched Alonzo, you know, wrote a big story on him from the McDonald's All-American game. I remember that story. And uh, he was just such a joy to watch play. And to have him on the Bulls was like a total gift, like getting a top two pick after his rookie scale deal expires. Looked like a stroke of genius for the Bulls. And since he's gone down, the Bulls have been as aimless and as hopeless as ever. So who cares about the Bulls? I just hope Alonzo can live a healthy life post-basketball and uh, ideally can get back on the floor because he's too young to be finished this early. Yeah, for real. Um, Ricky, it's been a delight having you here. I'm glad we could have Ricky O'Donnell, Ricky Charisma on Ricky Council the fourth night for the Sixers on the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I wish Kenny Lofton scored at all. I will say really quickly, I did like what Julian Phillips was showing me. Definitely the best Julian Phillips has looked on a basket on an NBA basketball court. So that closeout attack, that up and under, that was beautiful. And then he ripped a three over Embiid. Yeah, very nice. Embiid, there's nothing Embiid disrespects more than uh, a three-point shooter he doesn't think can shoot. So it really, not he, that was not a hard contest, but I'm glad, I'm glad he hit it. Uh, we are going to talk to you once Spike's stomach is back together. I think it's this weekend. Uh, we got Knicks and then Jazz back-to-back. Friday, Saturday, we'll talk to you Sunday morning uh, when the Eagles will probably lose to the Giants. Uh, thank you, Ricky. Thank you, CJ. Uh, shout out to Jason Lipschitz, who had a baby. Shout out Phoebe, our girl. Very exciting stuff. And the Sixers are 23 and 10. Things are good. Uh, Ricky, do you know the saying at the end of the podcast? No. Okay, so I'm going to say, if you don't are you down with TPP? And then you're going to say, yeah, you know, lick face. So are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know, lick face. That's right. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm going to fucking kill you. That's a plan B.